From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Thursday, October 7th. Moab is split down the middle into two different state house districts. If you live on the west side of town, chances are you're in state house district 70. But if you live near Spanish Valley Drive, you're likely in district 69. Some Moab residents told the Legislative Redistricting Committee at a public hearing last night that doesn't make sense. They say this split dilutes Moab's voice and makes it harder to advocate for local issues in the state legislature. Sonia Hudson with our partners at KUER has more. The Grand County Commission told lawmakers that Moab needs to be represented by one person, not two, in the State House of Representatives. Commissioner Kevin Walker says the district split dilutes the city's voice. Sometimes our legislators do things for us out out of the goodness of their heart, but they have no electoral reason to do us any favors because they can easily win no matter how people in Grand County vote. Sam Van Wetter, a Moab resident and organizer with the Rural Utah Project, says the city should be put in a district with northern San Juan County. As anyone who lives here knows, we are ostensibly the same town um, and we should be represented as such. But Monticello City Councilwoman Kim Henderson says the areas are really different. Moab very much likes the growth that the national monuments bring in and they promote that. But as other rural communities, we've seen how that can negatively impact a community. We don't want to follow suit. The chairs of the committee say it's too early to tell what they'll do with Moab when drawing maps. Sonia Hudson, KUER News, Moab. Next week, the Utah Independent Redistricting Commission will be in Moab for their own listening tour. This bipartisan group will be drafting maps to recommend to the legislature. The Utah legislature could adopt those plans or go with their own. You can find details on that meeting and more on the redistricting process, including how to submit your own map in the show notes of today's news on our website and podcast. The U.S. Senate's Energy Subcommittee on Water and Power held a hearing in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday about ongoing drought conditions. KUNC's Alex Hager reports they heard from water experts from several western states. With the backdrop of a steadily decreasing water supply, experts hammered home the widespread effects of a future with less to go around. Jennifer Pitt is with the environmental nonprofit Audubon Society. The Colorado River provides drinking water to 40 million people. It's the lifeblood for 30 federally recognized tribes. It's the silent utility underpinning a trillion-dollar economy. The director of Arizona's Water Department said the path forward relies on good data and collaboration, including voluntary conservation measures in a river basin where water issues transcend state, tribal, and national borders. I'm Alex Hager. The high cost of housing is pricing out local workers from communities across the Mountain West. One nonprofit in southwest Colorado is trying to make small-town housing affordable by turning to factory-built homes. KOTO's Matt Hoish has more. Housing takes time. Kiefer Perino knows this. He's been working on one affordable housing development for local workers since before the pandemic. It's been a couple years versus a couple months in the making. Perino is the mayor of Norwood, Colorado. The roughly 600-person town is shaping up to be the first to get about two dozen deed-restricted workforce housing units 
from a new initiative launched by a local nonprofit, the Telluride Foundation. They're taking a simple but potentially powerful approach, building houses for less money. If you work backwards from a teacher in Norwood, they're making $41,000, they can afford a $180,000 home. That's Paul Major, president and CEO of the foundation. Can we actually deliver a $180,000 three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage home? To get the cost down, Major breaks it into three buckets, land, financing, and construction. When it comes to land, the foundation is trying to get it for free. San Miguel County has donated the parcel of land in Norwood. For financing, a mix of public and private donors have put forth low-cost capital. Finally, there's construction. The first thing that comes onto an on-site construction project is the dumpster, because 30% of all materials that come onto a construction site are waste. They turn out to be waste. To solve that problem, the foundation has turned to off-site construction. Homes are pre-built in a factory and essentially installed onto the site. David Bruce manages the housing initiative for the foundation. He says that off-site building can reduce construction costs per square foot by about 75%. And he adds, there's nothing new about the approach. People have been talking about that since the 60s. And one of the reasons it hasn't sort of taken on this effect and, and revolutionized the construction industry the way, you know, uh, Ford Assembly Line has is because, you know, there's a huge advantage just to you and me going to a building site, bringing some lumber with us, and there's a flexibility to build on site that is actually hard to calibrate and, and line up once you prefabricate everything. For an existing example, he suggests I look into another similar large-scale development called The Farm in Buena Vista, Colorado. So, I do. Micah Salazar, I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Fading West Development. Fading West Development is the developer behind The Farm. So far, Salazar says, they've built 86 houses using off-site construction, and all of them have sold for between roughly $200,000 and $500,000. And he notes, even though they're not deed-restricted, a little more than 80% of the people living in them are part of the local workforce. We really can't build them fast enough at this point. The best way that I can put it is is the impact has just been huge. Duff Lacey is the mayor of Buena Vista. He says he hasn't heard anything negative from his constituents about the farm, but he notes the factory-built units are still a couple hundred thousand dollars. So he thinks they're not a cure for all the region's housing challenges, but they fill a void. There's still a gap, but this is definitely taking care of a sector that is looking for housing. Of course, there's no guarantee the Telluride Foundation homes will sell as quickly as the Buena Vista ones, but Major is confident. A study found there's pent-up demand for over 30 affordable homes in Norwood, more than the foundation plans to help build. They're also working on similar projects in nearby Nucla, Ridgeway, and Uray. All in all, the projects could result in over 100 new deed-restricted homes for local workforces. And, if all goes well, more could follow. We see this as an opportunity to uh, potentially see this work in a pilot format and potentially scale this in other parts of rural Colorado that need uh, new housing construction. Rick Garcia is the executive director of the Colorado Department of Local Affairs. He says once they see one or two of the projects completed and homeowners moving in, the state is prepared to help other communities take a similar approach. The Telluride Foundation hopes to break ground in Norwood next year and have folks moving in by fall 2022. For KOTO and the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition, I'm Matt Hoish.
This story is part of a collaboration between the Solutions Journalism Network and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, highlighting affordable housing solutions across the Mountain West. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, October 7th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.